Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. Today, we are in week three of our Jonah series. I'm Brian Dwyer, the host of the podcast, joined in the studio by John Bellis. John, why don't we get started? We're in, we're in chapter three out of four chapters. Why don't we get started for people who need to get caught up on the story? Where have we been so far in chapter one and chapter two of Jonah before we get into the all-important chapter three? So as we pick up the story in chapter one, we see that Jonah receives this calling from God to go and preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, an, an empire that was openly hostile to Israel, and so therefore to Jonah and his people. And we all know that part of the story that Jonah tried to run from God, and Jonah finds himself on a boat, and God brings a powerful storm upon this boat. Jonah eventually gets thrown overboard by the crew. The crew recognizes that he's the reason for the storm, and so Jonah tells them, throw me overboard. And we saw in week one this awesome example of how God uses even Jonah's disobedience and running to draw those men on the, board, on the boat to himself, and, and they acknowledge him, and they, they make vows to serve him. And then last week in chapter two, we saw Jonah's prayer, really, that Jonah had hit rock bottom, his prayer of repentance, recognizing that, that only God could save him. And then the story kind of ends with the, the great fish spitting Jonah out on the beach. Yeah, and then that brings us finally to, to chapter 3, and this is where Jonah makes good on the original calling, right, that God had called him to go to Nineveh. He finally goes to Nineveh, and, and that's what we see as we open up chapter 3. And each one of these chapters is short, so we've been reading these to kind of kick off the podcast. I think it's helpful for people to hear the, te- the full text of the Scripture. We can't do this with all the Scripture that we cover on this podcast, but with this short book, we can And so this is Jonah chapter 3. I'm reading from the NLT. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And by the way, it doesn't say how long between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We don't know. It might not have been immediately, right? But he said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I've given you. Now, I've always thought it was right at the beach, right? Because I see him laying on the the beach after being spit up by the fish. And he says, Get up and, and now you can go. So this time, Jonah obeyed. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments for mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind, and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now, John, we're going to save for next week kind of Jonah's response to verse 10, right? Because that's, that's, that's how the whole book ends, is Jonah's response. And that's a fun one. I, I think 
people need to come back next week to hear the end of the story because Jonah, it's really the probably the most embarrassing chapter in the whole Bible in my book because Jonah is just acting like a total fool because God relents and shows mercy to Nineveh. But for today, really, the story is a little bit more, well, it's more about, it's more about God, right? It's more about kind of what kind of God the God of Jonah is. And the, the first thing, we're, we really have three things that we encourage you to unpack with your small groups or your mentors or your families out there if you're studying this with us. The first thing to recognize in chapter three is that God is a God of second chances. Yeah, I love how verse one opens up, says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. You know, certainly God wasn't required to still use Jonah. God had other prophets he could have sent, or God didn't even have to use a prophet. I mean, God is God. He could have spoken through signs and miracles and wonders and got the Assyrians' attention. But I love the fact that he gave Jonah a second chance. And I've been thinking about this, that, you know, when God wants to do something through us, I think also at the same time, he's, he's interested in doing something in us. And so this allowed God to do something in Jonah, like this experience Jonah had, I think strengthened his faith, I think strengthened his resolve, because we see here in a minute that he's going to go in and he's going to be bold. Like he's going to blast this message, says he shouted it at the crowds. So I think part of that is because of the growth that happened in Jonah when he tried to run from God initially. Well, and it's interesting that it says that the city was so large it took three days to see it all. I think the reason that's included in the text is because that was Jonah's intention, is he was going to see it all. I think Jonah went there thinking he was going to go all throughout the city. He was going to spend several days there, really, as long as it took him to stay in the fish, right? He was going to spend three days there preaching this message. Now, we're going to see here in a second he didn't need three days, and we'll see why. If you paid attention to the reading, you'll know why. But really, to get back to this idea that God is a God of second chances, you know, the second time he didn't he didn't tell Jonah ahead of time. I think that's interesting. He didn't even tell Jonah what the message was going to be. He just said, I want you to be obedient. Sometimes that's what he does, right? He gives us just enough to be faithful, to take a step. You know, we saw in chapter one that he said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah went to Tarshish. So he didn't even have a chance to find out what God wanted to speak because he went the other way. And so sometimes for us, you know, applying this to Christians is, if you feel like God has called you to do something and you blew it, um, it, the story's not over for you because it's really just about being faithful each step of the way. And even if you don't know the full story and the full message. Yeah, I think that's how God often works with us is he just encourages us to take the next step. I don't know about in your life, but I know in my life, Brian, rarely do I feel like God has given me kind of the full picture on something at the very beginning. It's usually these these partial glimpses of his will and encouraging me to step out in faith. And then when I do that, then I get to see the next step and then the next step. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I think that's exactly, you know, in our NLT version that, that we typically teach from, it says the message I have given you. But as I was prepping this, almost every other translation says the message I give you or the message I will give you. So it really does seem like God didn't fill in all the blanks this time for Jonah. He wanted him to take that step of obedience before he did. Yeah, and we say it in our in our pursuit series. We talk about well, you know, once you've trusted Jesus for salvation, of course, Jonah didn't know Jesus, but he's trusting God. 
And he's just, you know, last week we saw that he had made up his mind that he was going to fulfill his vow. That was part of his prayer in the, in the fish. And so now we see that, that he's, he's going and he's going to find out, this is how we say it in, in the pursuit, we say, once you become a Christian, now you find out what pleases God and you do it. You don't even always know what pleases God. I remember leading a, a, leading a friend to faith years ago, and, and he trusted Jesus for salvation and we prayed a prayer together. It was really a powerful moment having breakfast together. And then, he, and then he just looked up at me and said, okay, now what? Now what do we do? And I said, well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So he went home, I went home, and the next week we did the next topic in the lesson, which lesson seven talks about baptism in the pursuit. We say, well, now you've, you, one, of the th- one of the most immediate things that you can do once you've come to faith in Christ that pleases God is to be baptized. Well, he didn't know the week before that he was going to be getting wet in this weird Christian ceremony that he didn't have any connection to. But he said, all right, if that's what God said, I'm going to do it. So he got dunked in water, right? He got baptized. And I remember the next thing we talked about, the next topic was, okay, you need to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. (laughs) He didn't know that that was part of the deal when he became a Christian. I think for many of us, you know, we don't even always know what, what the deal is, what, what God's going to be calling us to do, but he's going to give us an opportunity to be obedient to him. If, we're, if we weren't obedient the first time, he'll give us an opportunity to be obedient the next time. But the goal, the heart is to find out what pleases God and to do it. And it reminds me of this missionary story I heard, this powerful, evil African man. He had four mistresses. He comes to faith in God. And then basically the missionary said, look, you need, you know, the, the, he told the missionary, God told me that I, ha- that I had to pick one of them to marry. Now, the, 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 this evil man who had now given his heart to God, according to the story, he intended to pick the healthiest and the most beautiful of the three of the four mistresses. But God told him, no, you must pick the ugliest. And so, and so I did, said this, this man, in front of the missionary <laughs> and in front of his <laughs> wife. <laughs> The one that he picked. That's a great, that's a funny and a great story of we find out what pleases God and we do it. And if that means that you got to marry the ugliest of the four mistresses, then so be it. And so be it. All right. Here's the second thing we learn in chapter three of Jonah. And it's just really about God's message. Think about the message the way we read it. it. It is just so simple and powerful right? It says it in verse four. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted this to the crowds. Here it is. In our translation, four words or eight words. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's the message. That was all, all this drama, all this running was because of those eight words. And you'd think that Jonah would even love to say those words because he wants to see Nineveh, Nineveh destroyed. And so, this message is so simple, and it's just how God's word is, right? It's so simple, yet it packs so much punch. Yeah, and we, we know in chapter 4 that Jonah recognized God's mercy and forgiveness, and so I think maybe part of Jonah's struggle is that he knew if the nation of Assyria would turn that God would likely relent. You know, he says that in chapter 4, verse 2, kind of our, our theme verse for this series. But yeah, it is a very direct, very simple message that resonated, clearly resonated with the people of Nineveh. You know, they were, they were struck to the core. And I think that's how, how God's Word still works today. You know, God's Word is alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it, it gets right to the point. You know, and, and sometimes I think we try to 
fluff it up maybe more than we need to. It's just the simple message of God's goodness and his grace. Yeah, I think it's a reminder that the power is in the message, not in the messenger. I, I remember years ago at, at my home church, I was in college and I was helping out with a food pantry. And the deal was that you, you did, you, you, you would give, have a basket of food that you would give to this family that came to the food pantry, but that they had to sit through a gospel presentation for it. That's how we did it. So we would share the gospel. And I remember sharing the gospel with this family, and it was a Spanish-speaking family, and I speak Spanish. And, and so I just remember how, how powerfully I felt like I shared this message with this family, and I just had all the right words. I really felt like I, really felt like I had it all put to, my presentation all put together. And I shared this gospel message, and I asked them if they wanted to trust Jesus for salvation. And they looked at me, and they just said, no, could we just have the food? And I remember giving them the food and just being bitter at God, kind of like a Jonah moment, probably a little bit like, oh man, I just thought, I thought I had it all. I, th- I thought I said it all just right. Uh, it was so powerful in my own mind. And I remember the next family comes in and I was so discouraged. I was defeated. I was down. And I'm just, you know, was hardly even giving any attention to it. Just shared the basic presentation my heart wasn't even in it. I, I just, it, I really bombed it. It was terrible. I bombed it. And the guy, I wanted to give him the food and he said, can I, can I pray to receive Jesus into my heart? And so here this guy is, who it was the same message essentially, but the messenger was blowing it the second time. And it really helped me to realize it, it isn't about the messenger. It really is about the message. God's word is so powerful that it goes out, it will accomplish its purpose. And this is what we're going to see happens in this story in Nineveh. Yeah, that's exactly what God did through Jonah's message. It was a very simple message, but he was very emboldened with it. I noticed that it says that he shouted to the crowds. He wasn't, he wasn't saying this under his breath. He wasn't trying to, to soften the message. You know, I think that's another thing that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can do today that we we only talk about God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, which we should talk about that. It's absolutely amazing. But God also is righteous, and God is going to judge one day. And Jonah, Jonah preached that. Jonah said, there's going to be a judgment. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And the people responded to that. Yeah, I think sometimes the, the message, I know for me, there's a temptation to just preach the positive side of the good news, not the judgment side of it. But the two go hand in hand. And, and again, we see at the end of this chapter how they, how they saw the good news, but the good news follows the bad news. John, what would you say to people out there who are listening to this, who are Christians, who, who feel like maybe there are, there are people in their world that they want to share with? Maybe even this episode is the Holy Spirit is using this to say, hey, you, you, like Jonah, you've, I've called you to open your mouth with that person over there. Why won't you open your mouth? Maybe the person who feels intimidated, afraid, they feel like they're going to offend somebody, but they're, they feel like the Holy Spirit is telling them, go talk, talk to that person about Jesus. What would, your, what would your message be to that Christian? The first thing I would say is we never know where God is working The city of Nineveh was probably the last city you would have expected to respond to this message. You know, they they were known for their brutality. The Assyrians were. I mean, they were were feared in that time and in in that culture. And here Jonah goes in and says, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. 
I remember I had an experience with a, a really good friend of mine here in the valley where I live. Uh, he, he is of a different faith, and he's very devout in that faith, and he heard I was going to be preaching on a Sunday here one time, and so he showed up. And I knew in that sermon I was going to really spend a lot of time emphasizing the deity of Christ. And in the particular religion that he's a part of, they, they don't believe that. And so I just went up to him and said, hey, man, I appreciate you coming, but I just... I just kind of want to warn you, there's some things I'm going to say to you that are probably going to give you some heartburn. And I said, but I hope we have a good enough relationship that we can just talk about it afterwards, and you know, I'd love to answer your questions. So anyway, I did the sermon, and he sticks around, and I'm praying with some other families, and he's still sitting in the back of the church. And so I go to walk back to him, and I'm thinking, well, here we go, right? The debate's going to begin. And he said, so did you change your sermon? I said, no, I didn't change my sermon. He said, well, you didn't say anything that I don't agree with. And I remember saying, how, how can you say that? <laughs> you know, clearly you're part of a religion that doesn't teach the deity of Jesus. And he said, well, I don't necessarily believe everything my religion teaches. And the reason I bring that story up is this was a guy that, from the outside looking in, you never would have guessed God was working on his heart. You never would have guessed that he had doubts and questions about the faith that he was in. So if you have someone in your life that you just think it's futile, like, why, God, why do you want me to go share the gospel? They're going to be closed off. You have no idea what God is doing in their heart. They, they may be waiting just for that time. And then the other thing I would just encourage them to do is don't overcomplicate it. Keep, keep the message simple, you know. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life and how he's freed you and rescued you. And just share that simple gospel message, which, you know, the Bible says might be foolishness to them if the Spirit's not working in their heart, but the Spirit may be working and they may know exactly what you're sharing. Yeah, it's not your job to change a person's heart. It's your job to bring the message. It's God's job to change their heart. You know, you, you do your part, God does his part, and they have to do their part. They have to humble themselves to be willing to listen, but... Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. You know, Paul was a guy who confessed that I think he was maybe even a little insecure about his ability to teach. Now, I don't know why, because, you know, half of the books in the New Testament come from his pen, but but I think it's because there was another guy in the church named Apollos who apparently was a better public speaker than Paul was. And he said, look, I didn't come to you. Paul said, I didn't come to you with power and power with fancy words or anything like that. I just came to you with a simple message, the message of the cross. And, and only, only people who have ears to hear it are going to hear it. He says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of, about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So learn the basics of the gospel message, and then just be willing to share the basics and see what God will do. See, see how God will do the rest of the work, which, which brings us to really the last part of chapter 3, because Nineveh shockingly repents. Nineveh, now Jonah wasn't shocked, but but I think we as readers are shocked because Nineveh seemed like they're just an evil nation, a brutal nation, and yet they had a, a heart to listen. And, and the point really that we want to draw out of this is that every generation gets to make its own choice. Yeah, the people of Nineveh believed God's message, 
So if we read verse 5 in chapter 3, it says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. You know, repentance always begins with believing God. So for, for the Ninevites, it was, it was believing that he really was going to destroy them in 40 days. So really their, their mourning, I think, was more over the fact that they were about to get you know, wiped off the planet versus, oh, we've sinned against a holy God. There was a selfishness even to their mourning. But it did lead to true repentance. It talks about how they changed their acts and how they ceased from violence. So it, it was a genuine repentance, you know, regardless of what they were mourning for when they first began to mourn. Yeah, and don't forget, I, I always like to clarify what repentance is, because we see this theme over and over in the book of Jonah. Repentance is an attitude change that results in the fruit of repentance. Okay, so repentance isn't doing something to somehow earn God's approval. The Bible says that when we turn to God, like kind of like what Jonah did in chapter 2, is he, he decided in his heart that he, he was going to, he was going to, follow God and align himself with God, well, he was still in a fish. He couldn't do anything. He had to wait for that fish to spit him out of, out of his mouth, and, and then he could actually do something. And that, it's good to remember this, that, when, that repentance is a requirement of faith, but that doesn't mean that works are a requirement of faith. That repentance is an interchange, this thing that happens on the inside of us. We like to use the word the attitude of repentance. It's the attitude that says, I want to go God's way now. And we see it in Jonah in chapter 2, and we see it in the Ninevites in chapter 3. And the fruit of repentance for Jonah was he went to Nineveh, and for the Ninevites is that they stopped their evil ways. Yeah, most of the New Testament where you see that word repentance, the word is, is metanoia, right, which means a changing of the mind. So it goes back to believing what God said. So, you know, if you're out there today and... and and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the first steps of that repentance process is you have to believe what God said about that. You know, you have to you have to have a changing of the mind that, that you agree with God, that you believe that you are a sinner, that you believe that you are broken, that you believe you need a rescuer. Because why move forward and trust Jesus to be that rescuer if you don't even believe that you need one? Yeah, we talk about all this, by the way, and lesson six of our pursuit series. So if you haven't gone through the pursuit with anyone, if you're someone who's seeking God, you're seeking the God of the Bible, but you wouldn't call yourself a Christian just yet, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, go through that pursuit series. And in lesson six is where we really talk about that attitude change, that change of heart, that change of mind, and, and trusting in Jesus for salvation so that you can move on and get baptized or, you know, find out what pleases God and do it. So the fruit of repentance is important, but it's not required for your salvation because we're saved by grace through faith. That's it. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross and then our response, our inward response to that. Okay. And and I, lo I love really that kind of leaves us with this last, these last couple of verses. Verse nine, John, John, help us unpack this. Because the king of, of Assyria says this in verse 9, he says, Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind. Because remember, all he had heard was 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That, that's, all, that's the only message they had. There wasn't, you're going you're to be destroyed if you don't repent. So they're actually repenting. The Ninevites are repenting without any guarantee that God's going to change his mind. So the king says, maybe God will yet change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. 
He wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Now it did, right? Verse 10 says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he did change his mind. And he didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So what, I guess somebody listening today, John, who doesn't really know how God works, <laughs> they're, they're prob- maybe at the end of the edge of their seat right now saying, yeah, how, how does God feel about us now? I do feel like a Ninevite. I do feel like a sinner. Do I have a guarantee? I, what, what, is, what, is the God, what does the Bible say about God's heart toward me? Well, I think, I think there's a couple things that we want to clarify about the guarantee. So I can guarantee you that God's heart is for you, that God, that God wants to forgive you. I cannot guarantee you that God will remove all the consequences from the bad choices you've made in your life, right? So, mm-hmm. so for example, in, in the Ninevites, God did relent on the consequences, at least for that generation. Now, we're going to see at the very end that, again, every generation has to make this choice, so eventually the Ninevites would, would go back to their old ways, would be a violent city, and that, that empire would be destroyed, just as God had, had said was going to happen. But the beautiful thing that we do know when we come to God and we repent, when we ask Him to forgive us, is we know the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to Him. So First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So that's something that we know about the heart of God, about the character of God. Now, again, I'm, I'm mentoring a young man here at our church currently who— who made some bad decisions and who has some legal issues regarding, uh, well, I won't get into the details, but he's got some legal issues. Now, he knows God has forgiven him. He's asked God to forgive him. He's confessed that sin, and God has forgiven him. We know that from Scripture. But there still may be some legal consequences to some of the bad choices that he made. So I can't guarantee someone who receives God's forgiveness that all the consequences of that sin are just magically washed away. But I can guarantee them that God doesn't hold those sins against them from a righteousness standpoint, that they've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Yeah, I want to read those two verses. I, I, I want people to put those two verses up sort of side by side in their mind's eye. Jonah 3, nine. who can tell, perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now contrast that, that, that statement from the king of Nineveh in Jonah in the Old Testament, contrast it with the assurance that we have from 1 John 1, 9, John, that you read, but I want to read it again. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so what a, what a promise that we have. You know, I'm sure the Ninevite king would have loved to have read that passage, but it was years in the future for him. But, but it's true. And, and I guess, John, maybe as we close uh, this episode, what, what is the prerequisite for someone who's listening, who feels conviction, who feel like the, like the people of Nineveh, they feel this conviction. What is the prerequisite according to that verse? What, do, what does that person need to do? Well, they need to believe God, right? Kind of go back to said the Ninevites believe God's message. So on this verse, they just need to confess their sins to him. They need to say, I'm broken. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, I need a rescuer. And so I lay those before you. And we've talked about God being a God of second chances. So for anyone who's listening today who thinks, well, it won't be my second chance. It's going to be my 35th chance. That's the God we serve. He is patient. If, if you're still this side of the grave, 
and you come to God and ask his forgiveness, God is going to extend forgiveness to you. Uh, God wasn't just a God of second chances for Jonah. He wasn't just a God of second chances for the Ninevites, but he's a God of second chances for anyone who's listening today and hears his voice. Yeah, Jonah 4, verse 2, it really is our theme verse for this whole book. And we'll get into more of the context for this and why Jonah is saying this next week. But here's, I want to read it because this, it's just such an affirmation. It's, it's one, I think it might be the most quoted verse in the old, the, the verse in the Old Testament that's most quoted in the Bible, I should say, not necessarily most quoted by Christians today, but it's the most quoted in the Bible. And here's what, here's what Jonah said in Jonah 4, 2. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And I love that that's Jonah's lesson, that Jonah learned that personally in his life. The Ninevites learned that. The sailors learned that in chapter one. And we just want to encourage anyone who's listening to this today. This is the God of the Bible. This is what the book of Jonah is about. If you have, if you have, if you recognize that you have sinned against God, and we all have. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what sin is. It's falling short of God's standard. We all fall short of it. That you need to know that if you confess your sins, if you turn to God in faith, then he will forgive you. He's actually eager to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He is slow. He's slow to judgment, and he's quick to compassion and mercy. And so trust the God of Jonah. Trust the God of the Bible that if you turn to him, he will receive you. In fact, I want to encourage you to meet with, connect with a Christian friend, connect with a Christian church in your area. If, if you don't have a church that you're going to, find a good, solid Bible teaching church and use these resources at PursueGod.org. This is lesson three of our Jonah series. You can find it at PursueGod.org, but there are thousands of other topics that you can talk through with a friend to really learn about the God of the Bible, this compassionate, gracious God who's slow to get angry because he wants to give you a second chance. Now make sure to join us next week as we jump into chapter four because next week is one of the most interesting and I would say the most embarrassing chapter in the whole Bible because Jonah is going to make a fool of himself, John, next week. And people aren't going to want to miss this one. And it, But it shows us once again that God really is a, a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. So join us next week. 